I chose that anthem today not only because it feels like a celebration, and today's a day I wanted to celebrate. We can't celebrate with cake and, and uh, coffee in person as I was hoping, because, you know, anyway, kids. Um, we don't want to be mean to the kids who really can't eat uh, on campus yet. Um, so all I could do was um, wear my new red shoes, got my party shoes. Um, but it feels like a party anyway, and so does that hymn. But I also like that hymn because it, um, it really uh, spoke to, I mean that anthem, it really speaks to, to a fact that I want to talk about in uh, my sermon today, which is about justice work in a congregation. In that anthem, everything's, everything's all mixed in. We care for others' needs. Um, one of the things we're doing uh, starting today is hosting Heart and Home right here in our main hall. Yay! And um, that is a, um, a rotating homeless shelter for women in the community who need a safe place to stay. And uh, they stay here for several weeks each spring. Um, and, um, and then there's, there's, we transform ourselves, we worship on Zoom, you know, the, all the things that we do in those, in those pictures and in that music that are, make it not just a social justice organization. That's not what we are. So I think that a few things get illustrated um, by uh, a look at our history of um, social justice, which of course extends far um, before the, um, the, even the pictures that, um, the earliest pictures that Eric could collect. So one thing we learn when we look at our history um, of 75 years um, and more of doing justice work is that working for social and environmental justice is messy. It's complicated. Um, as a look closer at the history always reveals. Um, the second point is that if anything, we've made it more complicated and messy by the fact that we've incorporated it so thoroughly into the life of a congregation whose, whose mission in the world includes far more than social justice and, and, and environmental work. And finally, that we demonstrate in this way that social justice and spiritual growth are intertwined. So let me begin by an illustration of how, even here where this hasn't been too much of a problem, there can be a real tension between social justice and the other functions of a congregation. A few months into my time here, so uh, 18 years or so ago, a leader in social justice here at UUCPA asked to meet with me. They were concerned about my role um, as a social justice leader, as they saw it as leader of a social justice organization, although they didn't put that in so many words. They wanted me to do more sermons on topics of social justice. They wanted me to spend more time on public witness out in the, out in the community on the issues that were going on at that time, 2003 and 2004. That was, one story. And then um, there was not one moment, one conversation I'm particularly remembering, but I know I can remember that several times, every now and then, over these years together, someone has come to me complaining that they don't 
come to church to be reminded of the ills of the world and that they don't want to hear on Sunday morning a lot about what we should be doing to fix them. They come here for other reasons. So I put these two stories together, um, not to give the moral, oh, the poor minister can never get it right, or that there's no way to please everyone, even though both of those things are true, Um, but to illustrate the fact that a modern Unitarian Universalist UU congregation genuinely has many roles. No, we are not a social justice organization. Your minister is not the ED of uh, the executive director of an organization devoted purely to social justice, or that would be pretty much the work all the time and, you know, fundraising. And, um, and the social justice that we do is really important and can't be left out of Sunday morning, even though Sunday morning has lots of, of tasks to check off Um, besides that. Some people come here primarily on a given Sunday for comfort, to set down their burdens, and we seek to envelop them with friendship and give them some comfort and support. Others come needing a spur to action and companions in the struggle, and we seek to give them those. And of course, these aren't categories of people. They're us at any given time. What you come from for at a particular moment in your life, a particular moment in your week. And there are so many other functions of UUCPA, so many other reasons we come here. We're a concert hall. We're a school for all ages. We're a spiritual guide. We're a model citizen. And this is not by turns, but during a typical week. As you can see, if you look at the schedule of things going on here in the week to come. So in this uh, little series, this uh, three sermon series of um, contemplations specifically of our history leading up to our anniversary, I did one last month on on our physical space. This week is social justice and then we'll have, um, well, I'll leave it a mystery what I'm talking about on the day of our anniversary next month. But as I wanted to look at our social justice work together, which includes environmental justice over the years, it was interesting to note, um, looking at our history, that having all these different needs addressed, and we hope met by a congregation, that was not a given. Um, especially in the matter of justice. And I learned this, as maybe some of you did, from the uh, first class in the series, marvelous series, that the Adult Religious Education Committee has put together for our anniversary. We're in the middle of it now. It's each Wednesday. And if you missed some, don't worry. They're all recorded, and you can go back and watch. The very first was on um, the early church. That is not within these 75 years, but earlier incarnations of Unitarians in, well, not incarnations of the people, incarnations of the church. (laughs) I don't know about the incarnations of the people. Incarnations of this Unitarian, at the time, presence in Palo Alto, which began in the late 19th century. Uh, This was given by um, Reverend Dan Harper, our Minister of Religious Education, an unofficial historian. He's a true historian in his spirit. And um, he uh, instructed us, as he talked about the early church, 
that people then did not expect their congregation to engage in corporate social action. Um, yeah, they passed the plate now and then for a good cause, and they certainly wanted to be supported um, spiritually in their own commitments to social justice, um, but it was something they thought of as they did it on their own. It wasn't something they expected at church. Our modern day congregation with an active action council and numerous um, committees and task forces helping people work together for social justice and environmental work, that would have been an anomaly for them. The modern congregation though, 75 years ago, UUCPA was stamped from the beginning. Back then, 75 years ago, when it was founded as the PAUC, Palo Alto Unitarian Church, as a congregation in which justice work would be a load-bearing pillar of congregational life. And one way that the congregation, that early and small congregation, said this was going to be really important to them was that they called as their first settled minister, Dan Lyon. Dan Lyon had a very active social conscience and practiced, practiced what it called him to do, not only in, um, in his private life, but in his work as a minister in the community, and the congregation supported him in that. His primary way from my reading of his, um, his resume and his activities over the, those early years, um, his way of serving the wider community was to serve on boards of justice organizations. So he was on the board of the Palo Alto chapter of the NAACP. He was on the Palo Alto Human Relations Commission um, and on the board of the Palo Alto Mental Health Association. Now, this, um, this was something already clear about Dan before he arrived here, an officer of the Unitarian Fellowship for Social Justice, a national organization, um, at the time that he was called to this congregation. That uh, organization doesn't exist under that name anymore, but obviously that was a way of signaling how important it was to him that our religion be enacted in the wider world in matters of, of justice. And then there was the congregation. In those early years, we were tested. How did we want to respond to a world that called us to, um, to take a stand, whether we wanted to or not, perhaps, on certain issues of social justice. For example, just a few years after this congregation uh, was founded, McCarthyism and the Red Scare were alive and well in the wider world on everybody's mind, and they played out in California, as you may have heard if you know something of our history, um, they played out as California requiring um, religious organizations to give a loyalty oath, um, sign a loyalty oath to the United States, which was um, something happening in, all over the country and in various uh, venues and professions in order to flush out any, um, any possible communists. Um, so the congregation had a choice. We could either sign the uh, loyalty oath, or we could lose our tax-exempt status. So um, the board wrestled with that and, and decided they weren't going to sign it. And so that is a proud moment. Um, as we look back on that history, where we're quite sure we were on the right side of that decision, um, it's very we're very proud to say that our board um, 
did not sign. Uh, years later, after things wended their way through the law and, um, and it was ruled that that was completely unconstitutional, um, the church got a check back for the taxes that we'd hate paid that we should not have had to pay. I think it came to $18 or so. But, you know, I say that because it's funny, but refusing to sign a loyalty oath, it wasn't funny, and it wasn't something you could do lightly. People had their careers, their livelihoods ruined, and nobody knew at that time what would happen to congregations who refused to sign. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we say, nothing much. But they didn't know that then. A happier opportunity came up came about in the 50s um, when there was a need for, for affordable senior housing in this community and members of this congregation formed uh, an organization to help create that and, and then the congregation itself gave a significant portion of our land to become um, the land on which Stevenson House would be built, now our next door neighbors. So that was another um, opportunity for the congregation to really, um, to really do something to make a difference in, um, in an injustice in our, in our wider community. Now I want to bring these up and, and some other decisions that I'll refer to because as we look back on them, um, they seem to us like clear beacons for us. They're guides of our own decisions. Um, it's perfectly clear what should have been done, and we did it, but that's not how it was then. I don't know very much about the internal debates of those particular decisions. I know some um, about another, which I'll tell you about. And what's really clear there is that giving life the shape of justice, as, um, as Carolyn McDade puts it in the hymn, Spirit of Life. It has always been messy work. It's messy. When I think of that lovely poetic phrase of hers, giving life the shape of imagine something you actually have to do with your hands, like giving a patch of earth the shape of a garden. Um, it gets your hands dirty, you get grit under your fingernails and your knees hurt and your back gets sore, you know? You sweat out there in the sun. I think of giving a hunk of stone or clay the shape of a human torso. It'll get you covered in dust. You'll, take lots of, you'll make lots of mistakes and, uh, along the way and, and it'll bring frustration and tears. Giving life the shape of justice is not easy. Now, the way that plays out in a community, in a community that's gathered to do much more than just create justice, is there's a social cost. We don't always agree. We have to make decisions not just for ourselves out of our own consciences, but we have to try to do it corporately, and that's really hard. And it costs. It can cost in relationships. It can cost in who is, stays and who goes. Not everyone agreed with these decisions, I am sure. They were complicated and they were socially costly. And I want to give an example of one where we do know something about the internal debate and, um, and we know how difficult it was. This is the way the story was told to me, the simple version, the first way I heard it when I arrived here. You may know that um, this main hall, um, our beautiful worship space, was not actually built to be the worship space. It was built first to be a fellowship hall. 
The congregation, when they built this building, when we built this building and the other buildings here, we were only about 10 years old when we set out to do that. And um, this, this building and all these buildings were really built on a shoestring. And one part of the vision for our space just could not be realized at that time. And that was to have a sanctuary out in the land between here and Charleston Road that's now our beautiful garden. Um, that's why there is such a stretch between um, the main hall and the, and the uh, road. So it's not that we never made plans along the way to build a sanctuary. We did a couple of times. And what was told to me was, well, the time we came closest, we had plans, a model, and everything, we ended up giving away the money that we'd raised in our capital campaign to build the sanctuary. We gave it to community justice organizations and charitable organizations instead. We decided that was a better use of our money. Well, that's a very tidy way for the story to be told. And for some people, that was true. That was true, that was a piece of the story. But it was more complicated than that. Another part of the story was that people could not agree on the design for the sanctuary. And um, that in itself was a reflection of more complications of what was going on in the congregation. For some people, um, and they may have been right, building a new building the size of this just for our worship would have been a statement that we wanted to be a bigger church, more of a participant in the community, that we wanted to free up this space just for fellowship, um, that we wanted to keep growing into the buildings that we would built all these buildings um, for a really big children's program there at the end of the 60s. The population of children in our, in our program was declining. Not everybody was agreed on whether we wanted to be a bigger church. And for them, that's part of what the vote was about. Furthermore, there was a lot of conflict between uh, at least the senior minister and the um, members of the congregation, certainly the lay leaders at the time. And also, this was May of 1968. And whether you were alive then or not, you know that that was a time of incredibly deep division in the whole country. Probably about the hardest um, conflicts that we have had between the Civil War and our time here, our time today. Um, the Vietnam War was raging and the conflict about that in the country played out right here at the Palo Alto Unitarian Church. People felt very strongly on, on different sides of that issue. So there was unresolved conflict about that. There was unresolved and possibly related conflict um, with the minister um, or ministers of the congregation. Now what does that all have to do with being a congregation that does more than social justice? Um, oh, and by the way, I know a lot of this history also from one of Dan's um, classes, the one on um, our building and grounds. So check that out if you'd like to hear more about that conflict and much more. Dan's point, and I think he was right, is that if the church of the time had done the work of consensus, of listening to each other, of working through conflicts, of being willing to bring conflicts to the surface because they had the trust, the depth of connection to know that they could weather all those conflicts, 
the decision might have gone very differently. That there was essentially a, a, an avoiding of conflict in, making, in taking that vote. Um, we can't decide on the design. Instead of hashing that out or looking for a compromise or getting a new designer or whatever we needed to do, we'll just, we'll just give the money away. I mean, they raised the money for a capital campaign and gave it away. That's big. That's big. Or if they'd been able to work through the conflicts between the minister and the, and the lay leaders, or if they'd been able to sit and talk heart to heart about what was breaking their hearts about Vietnam, whether we should be there, whether we should not. The people whose children had enlisted, the people who were marching in the streets to end the war. I don't think Dan used this word in his presentation, but what I thought listening to it is, in other words, they had spiritual work to do for a community to make decisions, certainly big ones like how do we stand on a very controversial foreign policy endeavor by the United States, and even on supposedly small things, like should we build this building that we've raised the money for or not? There's a lot of spiritual work that goes into that, as soon as conflict comes up anyway, which inevitably it does. And I'm guessing that happened with the decision about the McCarthy um, vote, with the decision about Stevenson House, with every social justice engagement we've made over the years because they happen now. And they happen in the examples that we have written up there in our history in the minutes and the records. It's not easy to make these sorts of decisions. They lead inevitably into conflict, and if there's anything that's really scary for an organization, not only that does social justice together, but that comes together for memorial services and baby dedications and weddings, a community where people are, want to learn together and spiritually grow together, a community where people want to sing and worship together, a community where people reach out to one another in hard times. Conflict is really scary, and it's a spiritual challenge to address it. And if we don't, it'll come out in, such, in these decisions. I want to say, just as an example um, <clears throat> of how we support each other, that uh, Jack Awicki recorded his testimonial um, for us, but he had planned originally to be here to answer questions, and he isn't because of the work he's doing in justice work out in the community. He wants to um, document um, the uh, Women's International League of Peace and Freedom's um, vigil and protest. Um, uh, on the war in Ukraine. And there's, um, I'm not sure if I'm talking about exactly the same event. There's one going on at 5.30 today. I'll put that out to the whole congregation if you don't have the details on that um, so you can see about that. Um, so we can do our part by, if you have questions about what Jack presented, email them to him. And remember that one way that he, like all of us here, all of us live the spirituality that we learn here is Sometimes we miss church to be out in the world doing things like this. So, all in all, it's good to remember as we look at our past that justice work is messy and it's complicated. That it might be simpler to just participate in a social justice organization 
and leave our environmental work, our housing work, our, our health work, all those sorts of things outside the church. But that we incorporate all of these things, all the things that create spiritual growth, all the things that are part of our spiritual path, including our social justice work, our corporate justice work. We incorporate them all into our congregation because we know they're intertwined in our lives. We've made it harder, but realer and ultimately more successful by bringing them all together. If it seems like that's insurmountable sometimes, just remember, all through our history, for 75 years, people have entered into these conversations and it's been difficult and it's been messy and some people have given up and left and some people have raised their voices in anger, but here we are. They did it and so can we. <laughs>